0: People think about listening and surveys in this really old school way of you get an 100 questionnaire type of you know email after you bought something online that's just not at all what the real world is anymore and should be at least for companies how can you create this always on type of pulse where someone is giving you feedback whenever they want on their terms in unique ways
1: hi And welcome to Dreams with Deadlines, a podcast where you'll hear real stories of trials and victories in business. I'm Jenny Harold, Chief Product Officer of GTM Hub. GTM Hub is the world's most powerful platform for objectives and key results, or OKRs. In concept, OKRs are easy to understand, but challenging to execute. Until now, check us out at gtmhub.com to learn more. Scott Shapiro has had an impressive career. He's worked at Microsoft for five years in three different positions. And now he's a principal product marketing manager for B2B account management customer experience at Qualtrics. In this episode, we have an inside look at how it felt when Qualtrics was pre-IPO and everyone thought it was going to happen, but gotcha, it didn't happen. We hear a lot nowadays that things are slowing down due to this global pandemic. Scott shares his findings from research they've been doing, and they're seeing an acceleration of what was already happening. Hear what they've learned. Qualtrics has a set of principles called tacos. Find out what that means and how tacos shape how they operate. We talk about OKRs and how to go from activity to delivering real value. Let's jump in. Hey, Scott, thank you so much for being on the show. I was so excited when you said yes. So thank you.
0: Yeah, Johnny, it's great to be with you again. And thanks a lot for reaching out. I'm excited to get to connect today.
1: Yeah, so we were kind of discussing ahead of time like what we would, we would share on the show. I think the first thing is like, who is Scott? What was your journey like? Let's talk Microsoft because you've been in Big Corp. And then we discussed you went from like over 100,000 person org to now well, was you know, less than 2000, which is a huge change. So let's yeah. talk about that. So let's go there.
0: So I joined Microsoft straight out of college. I went to University of Michigan for my undergrad. And go blue. I, go blue, yeah. <laughs> so I joined Microsoft in about 2013. It was right on that cusp. Um, I was in the Steve Ballmer era, arguably when people thought Microsoft was a little bit uh, on the downstream. And I remember joining Office and thinking like, is this cool? Is this interesting? Like, but who am I to complain? I was just excited to be there. And I won't go into too many details, but my first project in my first month was actually launching Office onto Android and iOS.
1: Are you so serious? Right out the gate. Mm-hmm,
0: that was the very first thing I did as a, as a marketing person. I was totally an outbound marketing comms at the time. Okay. You think about those emails that some folks love, some folks hate of, you know, welcome to Office, here's your tips and tricks. That's what I focused on. Um, oh, so wow. I was 22 years old. I was week two, week three. And I had to finish writing copy for this email saying, you can now have Office on, I think it was Android at the time. I was thinking of and just desperately trying to figure out what the right message is. And my manager happened to be on vacation the day I had to approve the final details. And I of course you do that. You look around, you're like me, I have a job. I'm paid to be here. And it's my choice. I ran around to get someone else to approve it for me who was really senior. And I'll never forget okay. her being like, I guess I can approve, but I don't know why you're asking me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: my manager
1: uh, is on vacation. Help. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. So I, I started my world uh, kind of in outbound marketing communications, but then I realized the more that I got into the system, getting higher upstream in the product, if you will, was exciting to me. Going into product marketing, which is my role today, is what I really wanted to do next at, and at Microsoft at the time still. And I transitioned over to OneNote, which is part of how we met, of course. Yeah. And focusing on this tiny little project, which by Microsoft terms was scrappy and tiny and a startup. I now know that's not exactly true, but goodness did I love that mindset at the time. Yeah. And getting to really impact how people were working, thinking, and taking notes and figuring out how a product is a compilation of features, but it's really about a set of benefits at the end of the day and a value mm-hmm. system for you as a user of something. And that's when I started trying to think a little bit higher, not just what widget are we describing right now in today's right. blog or release notes. And I did a few different roles within Microsoft of this nature. I then went on to Word where I had the opportunity to actually do our first ever integration with LinkedIn after they were acquired, focusing on a tool called the Resume Assistant, naturally bringing together you know, something like 70% of all resumes are written in Word and then all traffic that's on LinkedIn. How do we combine those two things in an interesting way? It was one of the, like, a, a huge project I got to work on. It was super exciting and informative. And then I went into artificial intelligence for Microsoft as well, and some of our accessibility technology. So I really, like, ran the gamut here of learning from different voices internally, and really importantly to me, externally, different customers, different goals, and whatnot. And then in summer of 2018, I transitioned over to Qualtrics. For anyone that's not familiar, you might... Be saying I think I know what Qualtrics is either I took a survey in college with Qualtrics or I think you guys got bought for a lot of money but I don't I don't know what you do. Why <laughs> are you worth
1: that of dollars billions of dollars.
0: Yeah, b- big kudos to the uh, to the company, the founders and the employees certainly. But Qualtrics we focus a lot on what we call experience management. It's really this idea of how do you go from collecting information to analyzing it and actually taking action? So that you can bridge that gap between frankly what folks have is expectations and reality. Right. You know, as an employee, you walk in with a set of goals and then something happens. As a customer, you shop at Nike, you want one thing, you get another, for better or worse. We help you to bridge that gap in a really large way. And Qualtrics has been an awesome run. Um, we, can, we can talk a bit about like IPO and acquisition, if that's interesting, certainly. Yeah,
1: I think we should. I mean, what you're talking about, just to kind of back up a little bit, because I think about this in my personal life, is the delta, the wider the delta between expectations and reality, the greater the disappointment. Oh, and so, God, yeah. right? What you're talking about is like a business that's all about how to shrink the disappointment to nothing if you can, so that... What the reality is and what was expected by an employee, by a consumer, is pretty much a one-for-one, which is really hard to do, right? Because we're humans and we change our minds sometimes even. Like, How do you even quantify all that so that you can deliver a result that satisfies whoever is that you're trying to satisfy? I can see why it's worth billions of dollars. That seems like (laughs) a hard problem. Personally, I'm like, wow, that's hard. Gosh.
0: Yeah. And, you know, part of, for me, I remember joining the company. I had a little bit of that mindset as I was doing my research of, is it just surveys? And I'll never forget. And this feels so cheesy. I like went to our career page and I saw this great blurb and it was talking all about how we have these value systems, just like you said, Jenny, everywhere in the world, Mm -hmm. personal differences, political differences, international, whatever. There's always an opportunity to sort of close those gaps and create really lofty hopes and and accomplishments, and that's part of what's exciting. You know, I'm definitely a mission-driven, value-driven type of person when it comes to the workforce and integrating my day-to-day life with it. So it's really exciting to have the chance to, in my mind, actually amplify that out. It's like everything I do is hopefully helping businesses help their own customers and their own employees. So there's this tiny little ripple effect that all of a sudden we do something on a Monday another company adopts it, you know, a week, a month later, and then their customer gets that benefit and you just keep going. And, you know, you hopefully have an impact on the world in some small way as a tech person.
1: I think that's when it's cool in product or marketing or whatever you do is like on the other side of whatever it is that you did, that you actually helped someone. I don't know. That's probably the most gratifying feeling. I think all of us want to chase that as much as we can. So to have to be an employee, I would imagine of a business that that's, that's the job. That's what everyone is doing. I don't know. Like I feel like that would be super gratifying. So talk me through, cause we, we chatted about this and I had, I didn't know the backstory, what happened at the, the IPO, but did it IPO <laughs> <laughs> intersection? Cause you mentioned that you joined the company right before all this stuff was happening. And a lot of people, who haven't been through an acquisition or potential IPO are like what happens or you know, what does that look like behind the scenes? Can you talk through that?
0: Certainly. You know, it's it's a great question and it's a fascinating topic to to live through and get to discuss with other folks. So I joined the company in the summer of 2018 and the expectation was actually that we would IPO relatively soon. Just some basic context, the company actually been around for about 15 years and had just started really growing a lot faster, basically ramping up I learned once I joined, they had these internal metrics to say once we get green lights on all of these topics, we think we're ready for the IPM. Wow! The company, the company gets there; they have those certain details that they want together. The company's always been cash flow positive, so mm. they took on consistently. I think there was two rounds officially venture funding. It was really because the company and the founders, uh, Ryan Smith in particular, our CEO, they wanted the help of advisors. It really wasn't that we needed the cash per se, which is super mm. unique. In particular, actually, to a lot of the Utah-based companies, which is where we were founded, a lot of like the philosophies there. So the the next phase in the game here was basically as a company, we were gearing up for this IPO. It was sort of this, you know, the worst-kept secret internally of some people were off, like, one of my closest friends at the company was, like, literally planning the IPO party. They were planning, like, going to the New York Stock Exchange to ring the bell, all that stuff. You know, our finance department was getting everything ready. Um, if you're familiar, like we actually published R S1. The company was doing the bank roadshow, which is where you figure out are people gonna buy this thing or not right, in terms of stuff right. publicly. And I'll never forget this feeling. We had a company all hands set for a Sunday afternoon.
1: That's super weird. Right. So it was super, bit, weird. Right, it was
0: super <laughs> weird. And again, like worst kept secret. We all pretty much knew it was to be like we're officially IPOing. I think it would have been later that week was gonna be like the real moment it happened. And I get a text message from my manager maybe 5 10 minutes before this meeting was set and she just says in a hurried like a hurried text message we got acquired by SAP i'm pretty sure it's like a great thing call me if you need to but be sure you're on this meeting no matter what <laughs> and i'm just pacing around my house you know i came from microsoft before this i feel like i'm in the wild west of tech companies <laughs> what's going on <laughs> you know like the news is starting to break a little bit and we <laughs> never, we get on this phone call and Literally, it is like a video chat for the entire company, and it's just a screen staring at our elevators and our headquarters in Utah with an X logo, which stands for experience data, and an O logo, which stands for operational data, on two elevator doors. And we're just staring there, being like, is is this a static image? Like, what what are we doing right now? (laughs) All kind of like feeling out the room. And then all of a sudden, what felt like years later, those two doors kind of open and close, which to us is like this funny, we've never spoken about it, but our messaging is always, we bring together X and O data to close gaps. So we have this like total symbolic moment of like the elevator (laughs) opens and closes. And then basically out, you know, I don't remember if our CEO literally walked through the door or then they switched to a video stream or whatnot. But then he started talking about it and just said, SAP is acquiring us for $8 billion.
1: Out of control.
0: Huge. You know, it was a big jump from our previous valuation. We were all tentative, we were excited. And you know, talking a little bit about why IPO compared to why get acquired, um, I can't really do justice to uh, to Ryan, our CEO and telling the story, certainly, but he basically said he was on a on a conversation with Bill McDermott, the former CEO of SAP, and he kept on nagging him and saying more or less like, we want to buy you, we want to buy you. What do we have to do? He said, we're in the middle of an IPO, like put together the offer. Let's see if it makes sense for who we are and our value system and our long-term goals. And some of what they told us in parallel was basically, you know, we've been in conversations with every big company you can imagine, you know, I won't name names, but everyone you're thinking of at some point shakes the tree and says, you interested. And we were really clear as a leadership team, or excuse me, they were really clear as a leadership team. We don't want to be acquired by any company who's just going to tuck us in and say, you're now one of the tiny little widgets in our giant ecosphere. We wanted to, as a leadership team, they said, join a company that believes in fueling us or pivoting a lot of their story to say, we are going to matter in their long-term strategy, not just, right. great, you're a price list. Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of the the belief and the goal was with SAP and everything that we've seen so far as a company. And I will sort of say, as like a personal note, you wrap your head mentally around this idea at some point of, I think for the company, this is going to be great. What does this mean for me as a person? Because right,
1: right you're That's like the question. Yeah, right, I mean, you've sure. been acquired. You know that yeah. feeling. You're like, yeah. I
0: think the company is going to benefit, but what happens to Scott? What happens to Jenny? You know, at my next yeah. career evaluation or internal job switch, whatever. Right. And it's just, you know, it's a really interesting path of feeling and continuousness of protecting your own culture. It feels like, mm. and also trying to make sure there's that symbiotic relationship of. You acquired something as the parent company, if you will, if you don't invest in the right way or let certain things keep running, you squander the thing you just acquired and you both lose. So it's been a wild ride and just sort of cap off that story. Like coming from Microsoft as 120,000 people being told the classic big company line of you're in the startup in the big company and then coming here and within three months going IPO to acquired and whatnot and just. I felt like I got a lifetime's worth of what is it like to be at different companies all within three to six months. And it was awesome. I wouldn't trade that experience for anything right now in my career.
1: Pretty epic. (laughs) So I think, so you mentioned that your particular expertise is marketing. I want to kind of transition the conversation there because I think to a lot of people who are not familiar with marketing in particular, we all look at this and are like, it's a black box of magic things that happen. <laughs> and you all like write emails, right? And you you do things with Google Analytics, and <laughs> like it's yeah. squishy. That's what we we chatted before about it, the squishiness, and it's easy to hide within an organization. As a result, let's talk a little bit about like the demystification of the marketing and what it is that you exactly do. And then how does this propel a business forward? Like, why is this such an important function such that, I mean, we have C-level officers that are specifically focused on this particular function, this discipline. So can you briefly kind of talk through that? Because you're ahead of this within Cultrix, which is amazing, by the way. (laughs) Thank
0: you. So I focus on product marketing and product marketing, kind of similar to product management is there's a lot of this space and hopefully ownership and accountability of your domain. It might be the app you work on, the feature set you work on, et cetera. But a lot of what product marketing does is, we're sort of a hub and spoke model is how we think a lot about it. We sit in the middle to try to figure out what each different piece of the puzzle kind of needs and mm-hmm. figures out how to create those communications. Um, let's take a simpler example, I think just to walk it through is always great. Yeah. There's sort of outbound communication, is what a lot of people think of as, I believe, traditional marketing. That's when you see something like a social media presence, you get those onboarding emails, tips and tricks emails, et cetera. That's sort of for simplicity, outbound marketing. Then you move to the middle, which is where I sit in product marketing, and you're figuring out what is actually being built. How do we want to talk about it? What does the customer need to hear to actually care about using it if they're existing or if you're a prospect? How are we going to get them to buy it? What's the value proposition, things of that nature. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there's really two offshoots that I think sometimes focus primarily on product management, but the other offshoot we'll talk about is is the sales department as well. Mm. But we connect to this product manager on the other end of the spectrum to give these inputs in terms of, this is what we're hearing in the market. We're, We're a version of a customer expert with customer insights of what you want to go accomplish that should be influencing things like the roadmap. It should be figuring out how do we prioritize or maybe how do we build a different widget? And our job is by no means to replace or co-opt the PM. I think sometimes there's that implicit feeling of PMs in engineering and it's sort of implicitly better than product marketer because they're in marketing and that kind of tussle happens. And I'm not Mm -hmm. too interested in that type of internal hierarchy. Everyone's role is crucial in its own, own right. Amen. Yeah. (laughs) So we we work together in that sense, as well as if you're really good at this, hopefully each person brings the other in earlier in the process. The worst thing you can do if you think about sort of these three steps is, you know, you'll hear the expression, throw it over the fence. I don't Mm. want you to tell me when you're 99.9% done with your brand new feature, you've been on for an entire quarter and whatnot. Here it is. What's your story? How are you going to get me 100 X usage. We got to get in there early, and that's a big part. Is how do you add a lot of value as a product marketer and not be a a middleman or middlewoman here? Mm. Just saying, especially at a company like Microsoft previously, route these emails back and forth. I know the name Mm. of that person. That's the value I add. Is I'm calling Jenny over it. You know, the chief product officer. That's not your value. Mm. And then with sales, a lot of it is enabling them, making sure that they can actually go sell the product particularly in our respective spheres here of software. But any, any company has sales, obviously. You want to figure out how can you actually get those things out the door, use customer storytelling to empower a salesperson to say, actually, we've worked with someone in financial services before. Your MasterCard. This is how Visa or American Express does it. Let's take these learnings. That's a big part of what product marketing at the end of the day has to do is create this connection point where you can add up to greater than the sum of your parts.
1: Hmm. I think that makes sense. And so then like some, because it's so broad and we're talking about OKRs at some point, (laughs) maybe we transition into this. How do you think through these three steps or, or weave in OKRs within a product marketing role?
0: So philosophically at Qualtrics, we sort of define an OKR as this idea of, you know, there's supposed to be objectives that are significant, ambitious, and aligned to the broader goal mm. at large. That's how we think about it as a company. And I think that's really helpful as a marketer of any type. Really often, marketing gets stuck with sort of these phrases of increased brand awareness. Yeah, but how are you going to track it? Go to this conference. How'd you do? Land this press release in this blog post and get 17 articles covered. Those aren't really important value adds. Those are activities. Mm -hmm. Uh, Microsoft's CMO, Chris Capasella always talks about activity versus impact. And I would say that OKRs are one of the best ways that you as a marketer can figure out, am I creating impact or am I just doing things every day as an activity? Mm -hmm. And those are functionally completely different. Um, To use a different analogy, we were chatting about a little before, and I think a lot of your product-based audience will relate to, a lot of product managers and engineering leads, you have this natural rhythm, quarterly or agile, whatever the situation might be, where you say, Here's our backlog. Here's the 30 things we wish we could do. Right. Here's the 10 things we think we can target. And here's the five things I would really bet the house on we're going to accomplish. Product marketing and marketing prioritizes, but we don't have this natural idea of if I don't do if I do A, I can't do B, and that's okay for these reasons. Mm. So OKRs, I found particularly Qualtrics, now that I use them, it really helps to say, take big lofty goal. Give me three ways you're actually going to accomplish that that are tangible. And I can walk you through through an example, certainly.
1: Yeah, that would be great. Let's talk through an example because I think whenever I share what OKRs I've created on the product side, because there is like, we're shipping stuff, but what do you mean? Like I have to rationalize what that means for the business or is that getting us further? I think always having an example is helpful. So let's let's talk through one.
0: Yeah. So th- this is a direct quote actually of one of our OKRs as like Qualtrics the company. And I don't think I'm telling any surprises here. So I feel okay about mm. it. But one of our big, big company goals is a phrase that we call unquestionably win the CX Battleground. CX being customer experience, which is you know, really a mindset, of discipline, but to us, it's a product effectively and a business line that we are selling. Right. And you hear a phrase like that and you're like, okay, great. I want to win the battleground. How do you know when you win the battleground? And that's when the work keeps on getting defined and it goes down Mm -hmm. the layers. For me, where I sit in my world, I'm helping to win the battleground, battleground, excuse me, by creating OKRs that are around enabling our sales team. So I'm really specifically focused on saying, we've seen in our data, we win sales more consistently if we have, let's just pick an example here, a customer reference built in and maybe some sort of ROI calculator that we can give the sales team to work with their prospect to say, if I pay you 50 grand, what am I getting and when? What has mm. somebody else in my space really accomplished? So I take that first big one. And I break it down. So then I say, okay, by the end of this quarter or this half, I need to have five brand new customer case studies that are value-based. And I wanna also put together a marketing campaign that will feed into more pipeline to leverage those case studies. And so all of a sudden you took what was kind of this squishy conversation that you you implicitly know we wanna win. Okay, let's define right. winning. Right. And then all of a sudden you say, well, what do I personally do? What I do to help us win is enable the sales team in these two particular ways because the data shows us that helps them win. And you keep mm-hmm. going down, down, down. This is waterfall-like feeling and it should be influencing each other. As you sort of learn this quarter, did we were we successful? It influences the next one to either say, great, to keep the thought going, let's make five more case studies or another marketing campaign. Or it says, That campaign didn't work. Instead, we want to focus on actually going through cross-sell,
1: basically selling
0: to our existing product base a new add-on, or we want to go after net new people. And that's a lot of the way that we use things like OKRs to actually prioritize and drop things off the list, like I was saying to you before, which PMMs don't always know how to do. We don't always have the power to say, this activity here is going to take 10 times more effort but it's also going to give us 10X ROI. That other one, 30 effort, but it gives us almost nothing. Why would I do that? It gives us a vocabulary to create accountability and clear metrics to also prioritize and ultimately focus on impact, not activity.
1: So I want to kind of touch on something that I think we, we were briefly kind of chatting up before. There is a lot of activity and there is a lot of impact that we want to make, but not all of it necessarily For an organization the size of, let's say, a Qualtrics, definitely not an SAP or even a Microsoft, is all about the externalities, right? Especially in light of all the things that are happening in the United States, like what conversations, tough conversations are you having around how we in business can improve our hiring practices? How are we improving inclusivity? And how are you, how are you seeing this translate in your organization and with the teams that you're working with because I I think that this is important to hear and and to yeah. know that this is happening, right?
0: Yeah, I appreciate the question and certainly with the the pandemic as well as the Black Lives Matter movement and the broader police brutality in America, this is a watershed moment that we've been arguably already having or building towards as a nation and internationally in some senses. I feel fortunate to work at Qualtrics in this moment, because I think I was just talking to someone about this yesterday on on some of our actually our next OKRs and potentially taking on. Mm. We were talking about there's sort of this, in my opinion, this two-sided opportunity. I fully believe, just for lack of a better phrase, there is a moral good and a moral imperative to take this unrest, to take this moment and say, let's take action. Let's not be performatively woke and of performative mm-hmm. activism with our black square on social media and our, you know, toothless claim of we stand for black lives or, you know, we stand behind single parents who are now also taking care of their kids in ways they weren't before when they might have been in school, things of that nature. Let's mm-hmm. go do something about it. There's this moral good. And I really right. believe in that. There's also, there's this capitalist good. There is an experience-based good where We as an experienced management company are uniquely positioned to help other companies advocate for saying work was not working for everyone. You might not Mm. have been understanding the unique differences that your employees need once they are in the door or to even get the right folks to join your business. And a lot of what we're doing as an organization and me personally, I would call it soul searching. We've got some good DNA, I I would say, um, back in some of our published founder's letters and whatnot, and things we were talking about of being value-based when it comes to what we call closing the gap. Mm -hmm. But even internally and externally, we're saying we have not done enough. Let's put together very specific actions. One thing I'm proud of as a company, I think particularly relevant to this conversation is we actually always take an OKR. Excuse me, we take an OKR or encourage to take one that is around personal growth every single quarter. It's literally titled Personal Growth, Live, Learn, Lead, is what we've done previously. Now there's nothing's official official yet, but there's a lot of conversations that we are empowered to have in a unique way focused on well, what types of initiatives can we take that helps the, the greater good? And one of my biggest pushes, and we were talking a bit about this before, is The burden, so to speak, is on everyone. It it cannot Mm -hmm. only be on the individual, especially in tech, which historically has very poor diversity statistics and hiring and and retention numbers um, once you even get someone in the door consistently. So you need to also think about your goal setting in this nature that says, if I take on this goal, maybe it's joining in what we call internally a Q group or an affinity group for LGBTQ plus or the the black community, etc., And I want to help out in that way, whether it's project-based and whatnot, it has to be okay that something else falls off the table, so to speak, or falls off your OKR list, which would be like a traditional ship this, go to this conference, get these leads, et cetera. Because at the end of the day, if you slow down right now, if you really slow down and think about how to leverage this moment, your business will be better for it. Statistics Mm -hmm. consistently show that diversity leads to better business practices So I kind of say internally, I've got two different talk tracks if I need them. I got a moral talk track and I've got a capitalist talk track, whichever one you need, or hopefully a little bit of both. Let's get after that. And Qualtrics in particular, just sort of the last thing for the moment I'll say on this, to COVID-19 pandemic specifically, we really tried to jump into action and put out a set of free solutions. What we do as a business is we help you to understand the needs and then take action on them of your employees, your customers, et cetera. And we launched a set of about 13 or so free solutions to figure out a a customer confidence pulse, we called it, as well as an employee confidence pulse. What do you need to be safe and comfortable at home? What do you need to come back into the workforce? And they've been really successful in terms of helping other businesses make the decisions that they need to take care of their employees. We even partnered with different states and cities across the world and across America to achieve these things. So Qualtrics is absolutely at the start of its own journey, just like we all should be in our, but we've had the upper unique opportunity to what I call create a ripple effect. We really get to throw the pebble in the water and create that first moment of maybe advice as well as learning and listening that then the next company is that next ring and says, I'm using Qualtrics thing here now, maybe I'm thinking in a new way. Let me keep on bringing it to my next customer. And at the end of the day, I personally, as well as Qualtrics, really believes in this idea of technology is not the answer to everything, but it has to be combined with what we refer to as technology, culture, and competency. You need the right tech stack, but you need the right mindset and the right skills to be empowered and to go accomplish some of these things that will ultimately, hopefully help you as a business and as a person when it comes to the company's interactions.
1: So I think, my goodness, I mean, where do we even start with this, Scott? <laughs> uh, I mean, the one thing that that I have found in just talking to groups of, of people over the course of my career, I hate to use the word empowerment. Like that, I, I don't know, but let's let's use it for a moment. And what kind of separates some organizations that I find are probably successful with OKRs or initiatives like the ones that you're talking about versus others is this feeling that if I do something, it's going to matter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And whereas, you know, in organizations where I, I hear, you know, OKRs aren't working and I'm, I'm like, why? And they're like, well, because even if I do it, it's the same work that I was doing before. And they're just it's just a reporting mechanism to some person who needs to look after me for some reason. <laughs> or, you know, even if I put this down, no one's going to look at it or no one's going to care about it so why bother it's it's a fruitless exercise that someone read a book and they thought oh like <laughs> this is going to help us get 10x growth so let's just go for that but the way that you describe it it's like you're you've been converted like you believe, yeah. you believe that really. if you put forth uh, you know a challenge to an OKR let's say and say you know here are some things that I know I want to do but For the sake of what we discussed and like trying to improve internally our business and our business practices, like something needs to drop off and let's have that dialogue. What do you think is that secret sauce? Let's try to unpack this on like why you and likely then other managers, other, you know, other leaders within Qualtrics are like, we're going to actually make a difference and it's going to matter. Like what, where's that mindset shift for you guys?
0: There's a lot, there's a lot to that, to that question. I I kind of want to know,
1: but this is foundational, right? If you want to be successful, I think you kind of have to have the foundation, the, the, the richness of the soil, so to speak, so that the seeds will grow, you know? So where is that?
0: Um, you know, I think the first thing I'll comment on, is you said, being a bit of a convert. Early in my career, I'll never forget this feeling of, especially at Microsoft, it was a, my boss always talked about, hey, Scott, the next thing you need to figure out how to accomplish or to be better at your job is you got to package the plan. It doesn't matter if you know in your head what you're doing, if someone else can't hear it. And I was always frustrated. I was like, why am I spending so much time making a plan and not working the plan? Why am I shopping mm-hmm. around the plan? Let's go do the thing, like you and me, boss, love this. Let's go for it. And I just realized that I've gotten more mature in my career. It's just fundamentally the wrong way of thinking about it. When you establish or try to put together clear goals, you can take input from other people more clearly. You can figure out a more ambiguous task in a much more concrete way. And it's not that you suddenly know every answer when you start putting down your OKR. It's you have a framework to ask yourself the questions and to ask for input to say, is this serving the company's goals and in some cases, the the greater good of the organization? So I think for me personally, that was that was a really big shift. I think Qualtrics, by definition of who we are as a business, and I think others are different but could benefit from this mindset, is we are really focused on, just by definition, helping other businesses improve. So we are continuously looking for feedback internally and growing. We have our own managers are focused on, in their own uh, employee listening pulses, as we refer to them, one of the questions we're always asked and they are always talked to about is, how have you helped your direct reports write their OKRs? Have you taken their input to write your team OKRs? And you start to create this balance. And hopefully, if you're successful and comfortable and confident, this relationship of giving and getting feedback before you write down the goal or the, the the OKR that you want to accomplish. And I think because we have this idea of ownership and transparency at Qualtrics, and I encourage other companies as well, that really helps. I can look at the OKR of any employee in this entire company right now. I know exactly what they say their goal is for the next quarter. And that means I can maybe hold them accountable. It also means I can ask questions or it means, hey, I think we're doing similar tasks. We haven't gotten connected yet somehow.
1: Maybe we can align. Let's
0: talk about this. Yeah, Mm. let's let's buzzword it. Let's align on what we're trying. Let's (laughs) align. On what we're trying to do here. I do think there's top-down approach and there's grassroots bottoms up. And I think depending on where your company is and its maturity, different ones are successful. You know, I've worked with, And I know this is a bit of a tangent, but i hopefully relevant to you. you. I work with American Express a lot as one of our premier customer accounts right now. And they're a super strong customer experience-led company. They've been known for it forever. A lot of the cultural mandate starts at the top, but that can only get you so far. Is a CEO or a C-suite and VP saying, we're going to talk about this at our half-year review as a company. You still sort of need this grassroots fire of people saying, I want to go do this. I'm going to go Mm. take on this stretch area, particularly we were talking about diversity and inclusion or customer experience, it is not just the responsibility of the person who's got that phrase in their title. You need to create this culture of overlapping and being comfortable with it in arguably some of the squishier goals so that you can create a concrete goal and a concrete set of actions. And I think that's where in my career, I really try to focus on bridging some of those gaps as well as joining companies that frankly, care about those gaps to begin with at the end of the day. I'm
1: going to, I'm going to poke a little bit or, you know, there, because I think that's a, that's an interesting place to kind of settle in on how do you find out, how do you find out that the organization that you're about to, 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 you know, become a part of, to weave a, a pretty big part of your life into that kind of that, value overlap?
0: That's one of the hardest questions. It really is. I wish I had a silver bullet answer, but I do think there's signs. I think there's some signs you you can look for. I think one great one is, it's so cheesy, but what is their mission statement? <laughs> what, what do they publicly say they're trying to accomplish? Um, I, I think back to Microsoft. While I was an employee there, they rewrote it. But one of the words, and you used it before, was, At Microsoft, they wanted to empower every person or organization to do more. And that aligned with my value system. Like deep down, I remember interviewing as an intern and literally giving the example of saying, I'd never care about getting credit. You know, I was interviewing for Office, to put that in context. I don't want people to say after their A plus in their college course, thanks, PowerPoint. You made it easy. no. Be so proud of yourself that you stood up there and gave that amazing presentation. Hmm. And that was what I believed in my soul. And then Microsoft literally made their mission statement, empowering people to achieve more. And I'm like, wow, I wish, you know, it's amazing. When I looked at Qualtrics, we had, I think I talked about it a little bit before, but we had this paragraph that talked about closing the experience gap of expectations and realities and seeing them really phrase it, not just as a business, quote, unquote, but they even put on their public website, this idea of differences of opinion, political points of view, international feuds and whatnot. And was this lofty? Are we accomplishing all of these every day? You know, it's really hit or miss. Of course it is. Sure. But if you're going to strike out there and say, this is what we stand for, it's it's really helpful. And then the, the other thought I have on it is you got to trust your conversation throughout these interviews. I think what frankly one of the biggest mistakes I've made earlier in my career, and from talking to I, you know, I tend to in me, tend to mentor a lot of like interns and earlier college folks, excuse me, college hires, people have this feeling of, man, I really want to impress them. I really mm. just want them to accept me. And you just forget to say, what are they giving me? Or what am I hearing? What signs am I seeing throughout this process to let me know what you might be like on a day-to-day basis? We all want to be loved. We all want to be included. We want to be invited to the office or the party. But you know, don't don't forget. Do you do you really want to be at that organization? Do you want to spend time with some of these people day in and day out? And you've got to be willing to ask a couple of questions at the end of your conversations and interviews that hopefully help you to figure out why do they wake up every day? And is it a reason we're fighting for alongside them? And I, think I don't want to go sense. too big on that. You know, we're, we're, we're a tech yeah. company. I, I don't have the Silicon Valley, save the world mindset, but you still <laughs> want to know, I got eight to 10 hours a day with you. What's going on in your mind too, and the mind of the company.
1: Right. And is like you said, I mean, is this worth me thinking through here's this company level OKR, you know, that's where it all kind of weaves together for me. It's that sense of purpose, that sense of I'm actually working toward that same thing that everyone else is trying to ultimately work for. And how cool would it be if we all actually made it? Would we get further? Like that would be pretty cool. Did we make it? You know, are we making progress here? Now that said, I'm going to transition into something that's like sobering because we're, we're still in this, you know, COVID, coronavirus period. Like, yeah. And what's, what's wild is like this is a worldwide thing. This is not any particular people group. It's not a single country. It's all of the countries. And a lot of businesses are having a pretty dang hard time right now trying to get through it. Uh, you had mentioned that this is something that you – are particularly keen on researching and studying right now. What are some of the trends? What are the things that you're seeing uh, in in the research that you've done or or the work that you're doing concerning this moment?
0: Absolutely. And, you know, Qualtrics at large thinks a lot about these types of problems. Like we've mentioned, everything sort of touches this idea of, of an experience. And I'll kind of walk you through some of the things that we've seen and are hearing consistently from people we talked to and seen in research. But the first sort of like overarching cap I'd put on it is we're actually seeing in particular, both professionally and I think personally, an acceleration of what was already happening on some mm. level. Yes, there are things that by definition are changing today. But I would really argue that the conversations we're having and some of the research we're seeing is saying, they were actually already there. We're just Uncovering them, or if this trend was going to take five years, it just happened in five weeks and
1: whatnot. (laughs) Yeah. It is a big thing.
0: So, uh, you know, one of the first things that we really think about today in this idea of accelerating what you have to do today and how it will ultimately, if you're successful coming out the other side, help your company in the long run, you have to change your listening methods. You need to start thinking about multiple different touch points in a customer journey in particular so that you can hear them and reach out to them in new ways. Uh, let's take a really simple example here. If you're a grocery store, you know you used to see people coming in every day. You sort of see their faces, the traditional, what they grab on the shelves are happening in these certain ways. All of a sudden, you've got way more people using an Instacart or a Shopify and whatnot or an Uber Eats. And You need to hear them better of what they might walk into the store and grab isn't for some reason what they're doing when they use the mobile app. How do you adapt Mm. to that? How do you Mm. maybe give them the new ideas? The next step, and as tech people, this will feel like, I can't believe he's saying this, but it's still the shift to digital. You know, you were probably sick of the phrase digital transformation a decade ago. But guess what? It is still new to companies. There are still organizations that are getting that pressure right now to move different parts of their business. And we think a lot about what we call a a digital open door. People think about listening and surveys in this really old school way of you get an 100 questionnaire type of email after you bought something online. That's just not at all what the real world is anymore and should be at least for companies. How can you create this always on type of pulse where someone is giving you feedback whenever they want on their terms in unique ways, you know, mm. open feedback, text-based one question, you know, you think about your Uber rides back in the day, it was what it feels like at this point, one to five stars plus a comment, like these really basic things are now adapting in all different spheres that you might not have normally thought about.
1: Like what the are next- some of those spheres if you don't mind?
0: So I think a big area right now in this shift to digital is it's with the retail by definition, or it's, it's food delivery service are good examples. Going back, yeah, I don't remember the exact stats off the top of my head, but five to 10 years, if you think about the product mix or the sales mix of an e-commerce website that also still had a storefront like in um, Urban Outfitters is a company that we work with. Hmm. I can't use exact stats naturally, but okay. you know, even just five, 10 years ago, they were still getting ready to launch their website in a sense and really make it a premier front door. Now in this moment, you know, stores all across the world for Urban Outfitters, Adidas, Nike, whatever it might be, the physical location is shut down. So you need to better accelerate and adapt your customer journey online. Let's mm-hmm. get even more, um, let's try to get more relatable in that sense. As a product person, like many people are listening to this, or as a marketer who needs to f- decide what to push as a benefit or maybe hide as a as a weakness those things that used to not be at the top of your backlog like hey it takes five clicks and i've got really low customer effort scores which refers to basically how easy is it to do anything Mm -hmm. suddenly you're going to focus on that it's not as important to figure out hey how can we do um in-person cashier list checkout instead you're pouring all of your engineering resources into the online conversation of getting feedback And acting on it. And that's the biggest thing here is companies that are kind of laggards in the customer experience space, they get stuck measuring. Most companies now they can listen, they can get a pile of data. And then, you know, you're an insights person. They don't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. So as we are in this moment, it's even more important than ever to be ready to actually act on what you're hearing from the increased volume of feedback and responses that you're hopefully getting through like a digital open door.
1: Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. And I'm curious who would be listening has taken a hundred question survey. Uh, and like, what did you get in return for that hundred <laughs> questions? Gotcha. <survey>? yeah. <laughs> Hopefully That's something thing. good. I mean, we, we as a company, has the time? We, wow. Oh, anyway.
0: Yeah, no one has the time. And we as a company, philosophically, we try to root out the word surveys. You know, surveys just give you this old, old way of thinking. And it's just that's not what's happening anymore. And we move beyond them, you interact in new ways. So that means you get feedback in new ways, you get insights and advice in new ways, and you get to go do things in new ways, which hopefully is rewarding and impactful. And that's mm-hmm. a big part of this sort of accelerated moment means to us during the pandemic. And, and you know one of the other areas in particular that we see is so important right now is connecting the customer experience with the employee experience. Today more than ever, you think about we're both sitting here in our respective apartments having a conversation. This is also our workstations. And how do you intermingle this idea of hearing what your employees need and creating opportunities where they've got the right guardrails to walk within, but they're empowered to make choices that ultimately service the customer and their personal happiness as an employee or their career Mm -hmm. growth idealistically. And that's one of the areas that's really even more important than normal right now. And then just two more, I'll kind of rapidly hit on prioritizing customer care. You're getting overloaded in all new ways of the traditional. You think about like, I'm going to call up the customer service person and wait an hour and goodness, that's frustrating. Well, again, not how it should be anymore. If you want to be successful and impactful, you need to figure out unique ways to combine those channels, like the digital channels we were talking about a moment ago. Can mm-hmm. social media do more support through Twitter? Can there be more community-based activities for fans and followers if you're that type of company? And then can you do consistently better training for what are the new problems of the day in this new pandemic moment? Um you know DoorDash in particular is a great example. They were really trying to figure out how do we make sure our both are what they call dashers or you know uh, employees, as well as the end person, the person ordering the food. What do they need to feel comfortable and confident? So they put together contactless handoff. Seems so obvious now, that idea of leave the food at the door, just like an Amazon package. Six months ago, that was almost unheard of. Right. But they heard it in their customer care. They kept having to sort of fix this one-to-one tiny problem Mm. and realized, huh, we learned that's a root cause and not a fire we want to put out every day. Instead, we want to plan better for it. So we actually built a new product experience in service of the customer experience. And then just, just the final note that I know will be near and dear to PMs if you think about a daily huddle, disaster response mode. You've really got to figure out how to listen, learn, act a lot faster than probably ever before. And I would really compel folks to think about you know the five areas we just walked through and say, it might've taken the pandemic for us as a business to realize these things or experience these things, but I bet it wouldn't take you too long to feel out those were good ideas to be working on in advance anyway. That's the biggest probably. thing we see is we're accelerating trends and uncovering issues that probably weren't too far from the surface originally anyway.
1: Mm. It just became so obvious because, well, circumstances, right? Yeah. I think that is like, how long did that take you to be put together, by the way? Like, is this <laughs> good grief? That's like a lot to distill. So I'm just curious.
0: We, (laughs) you know, I don't have an exact timeline on it, but we're, we're fortunate to have consistently be talking, you know, personally, I talk to at a minimum one customer per week, as well as I know, like we're really fortunate, our executive in my organization, this guy, Brian Stuckey, he used to actually run our customer success org. So Mm -hmm. he has the background of always talking to people. And that's part of that DNA of a leader can help create a culture below you and vice versa. So as soon as this hit by definition as a company, we started figuring out how can we get this feedback and how can we interact with our own data and our own sort of customer advisory council in an interesting way to say, what are you all seeing out there? We've got some instincts of what to help you, but tell us and let's do that in parallel. So I think it was, we went into fully work from home as Qualtrics in early March. And I think it was by mid to late March, we actually had a free solution on the market that any business, could use and still can use for free called an employee check-in basically so that you as a company for free can do a daily check-in with your employees to say, what do you need? And we know it's going to be changing. Wow. That's what informed a lot of this.
1: I mean, and you're like 2000, I mean just shy of 2000 people and you're able to turn that out in a month is what you're saying. Now
0: now we're about 3,500 as quadrics, but yeah, it's, I've, I've, we're still pretty fast. <laughs> we figured out how to keep a lot of that speed. You know, the old expression, what got you here won't get you there. But yeah, we're doing a pretty good job of keeping some of the great yeah. pieces while evolving the other aspects.
1: Kind of bonus round, how the heck, how the heck are you keeping that that agility, that quickness?
0: Well, I'll quote one of our heads of people operations who also actually helped to bring this OKR culture to us. And I thought this is a really cool phrase he used. He said, if I'm remembering it right, I'm paraphrasing him, but counterintuitively, he believes hiring for culture is easier, the bigger you get, because you've got a bigger pool to know who is applying and who can fit in, in a way to what exists, but also who can join you and make those incremental jumps. Mm. So I think that's sort of like phase one that has helped us as an organization. The other one is, um, this is a story from before my time. We have a set of principles, we call them tacos, but it's, you know, transparency, all in, customer obsessed, one team, scrappy. So like, that's what we think about as our principles. Those are our Amazon leadership principles, if you will. And when the company set out to create them, the way the story goes internally is instead of writing down a set of who do we want to be, the team sat down and said, if you picked out the best Qualtrics employee, what are they like? If we picked out our culture today, who are we today? And let's turn those into both our guideposts for acknowledging the mindset and talent that got us here, but also what we want to keep as part of our principles. And that'll evolve over time, but I think that's a pretty unique mindset. It wasn't just about where are we trying to go and what makes us different? And I read a business book. It's (laughs) why are we the great, organization we are today acknowledging we should grow but what makes you the qualtricsiest employee that makes us proud
1: there's something there is something so wonderful when maybe we'll leave here when you embrace authenticity like that's what that sounds like right (laughs) I mean as I'm getting older I'm like you know what I'm just me I'm doing my thing and I'm embracing more of that and it sounds like the leadership of this this business was like this is who we are and how do we how do we continue to invest in that because we recognize it we hold it in high regard we think it's wonderful we want to continue to embrace that and and that spirit I mean, the last one really sticks out, I think, scrappy, because I yeah. think of Scooby Doo on the one hand. <laughs> <laughs> but on the other hand, a lot of people think of startups as being scrappy. And you all are part of SAP now. Like, it's hard to no. marry those two worlds together when you're thinking big corp and, you know, a 40 person yeah. team. So that's pretty incredible that that mindset has continued on. That's really, yeah. really cool. And-
0: and I will say, if I may, like Scrappy is a great, a great one you're calling out there. We are also, we're not perfect, but we're working on what the word Scrappy meant as a culture five years ago, 500 people ago is not the same as today. Back mm-hmm. then it might've meant a version of you've got no budget, get it done. <laughs> today, today, it might mean, True. and I know this for me, like I'm in a new role internally I needed some help figuring out how to get into like our data mart to do an analysis I've never done before. If I was at Microsoft and the, the data scientist wasn't available, I would have probably said some version of, darn it, let's get a meeting one or two weeks from now, or sorry, boss, I'm blocked. At Qualtrics, this is a real example from like a week or two ago, I reached out to our finance person and I said, I need some help in Tableau. Do you have 20 minutes? She walked me through it, had to work with some of the workbooks she had built I played around with it with the data. I found a unique set of insights. I brought that to my sales team and I said, I have got these insights or I've got the starting point of data from this tool I barely knew how to use a week ago. Can you go help me do the next phase? Let's go for it. So scrappy today is not the same word as scrappy yesterday. Mm-hmm. And that was a really hard growing point, especially for people like myself who kind of came from a Microsoft or an Amazon to be, you know, a mid-level employee or whatnot, when you get involved and saying, Oh man. It's not that we want to, you know, overwhelm you with process. It's that we need to evolve what some of the mindsets mean. It's, you know, where are you going to go spend your time? When you say be scrappy, it might be learning a tool that you would have never told yourself I should learn this. When you work at Microsoft, Google, big company ABC.
1: Mhm yeah. I mean, oh, so many corollaries. So many things. I've really appreciated this conversation, Scott. I mean, I hope our listeners got a lot out of that. I definitely did. If anything, like, what is it like to go into a pre IPO, but gotcha, didn't happen. (laughs) Or Like, you know, here's things that you need to be thinking about now that, you know, we're experiencing COVID and a lot of people have been talking about slowing down and you're like, Hey, y'all, things are accelerating. Let's talk about the acceleration. So I really love that. And then tacos, like now I feel like when I look and eat at a a taco, (laughs) I'm wondering, I'll be like, this is actually much more meaningful. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I wonder if the founding team or whoever came up with the tacos uh, framework or, or culture or philosophy uh, like really likes tacos I don't know but I love it I think that's awesome so <laughs> yeah. thanks for your time Scott this has been epic
0: Jenny this has been a real pleasure so much fun to uh, connect share some stories and also learn from you through our conversation appreciate you uh, inviting me on today
1: yeah awesome well I hope you have a good rest of your day you as well well that's it for this episode of dreams with deadlines thanks for listening If you liked today's episode, please subscribe and share. Show notes can be found on gtmhub.com slash radio. If you want to learn more about our product and services, head out to gtmhub.com. If you have questions that you'd like answered on the show, shoot us an email at radio at gtmhub.com. Tune in next time.